impacts in there today. I think we're going to do a great job. What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Modern Man Podcast, where we connect men in pursuit of their potential. Join us as we embrace discomfort, cultivate community, and put wind in each other's sails. And if you're ready to take your personal and professional growth to the next level, be sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Also, don't forget to check out the Noble Knights group where you can find support, accountability, and mentorship that you need in order to achieve your goals. Join us and become a part of a community of like-minded men on a mission to improve themselves and elevate their capacity for life. I'm excited to have on the call right now, self-proclaimed dumbass, but let's be honest, family man, a family first business and lifestyle strategist, CEO of Focal Point, uh, Marks Acosta Rubio on the call. Marks, man, thank you for being on, brother. Thanks for having me, buddy. And you will clearly find that I am a dumbass as the podcast <laughs> continues. There'll be no doubt in your mind or the listeners' minds that in fact, I fit that category. Well, I like that we set the expectations very, very low so we can <laughs> exceed them throughout the call. But um, I'd love to give you the floor really quick and allow you to introduce yourself really quick in your own words, kind of get acquainted with the audience, and then we can kind of jump into our conversation a little bit because I know it's going to be a good one. Good. Um, so story is voted least likely to succeed in high school. Um, ended up going to college, then law school for a year, dropped out, didn't want to be a dick. Met my love of my life, got married, went into business, failed, succeeded, became a millionaire by age 31, grew America, one of America's fastest growing companies, was a decamillionaire by age 36, that means 10 million plus in cash, then broke by age 38, bankrupt, IRS debt, the whole thing. That almost ruined me. Cleared your sinuses. If you haven't tried it, I don't recommend it. Lost a plane, the house, almost lost a wife and the kids, you know. And then, you know, it took me a couple of years to get my head out of my ass and figured out what did I do wrong? How come I got to be so rich, so fast, you know, and then how did I screw that up? And one day, you know, I was sitting working, trying to build it back up. And I was in the library working 12 hours a day, seven days a week. And my wife says to me, hey, baby, if what you're doing isn't working, why don't you try doing the opposite? She said she meant it literally. I took it literally. I was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And I really did. I thought, wow, man, what am I putting first, prioritizing? Where am I spending my time? And then I sort of drew this pyramid flipped it upside down and never went to the office, never wore a suit anymore. And then double my income, became twice as wealthy from zero to 20 million in three and a half years. Never went to the office, didn't do the work I did, built my company entirely different and have been uh, not doing much, but succeeding probably more so than I deserve since 2010. And then uh, along the way, people asked me to help, you know, coach them to double their income, double the time off. That's what I became known for. Did that 100% success rate. A lot of great clients, some of which you would know because they're celebrities and public figures. And then, you know, sold our company a few years ago. Not the focal point, but the company that got us there to begin with. And now spend most of my time, you know, just kind of living the life. And, you know, when I say living the life, Ted, I don't mean like, you know, fanning my balls in a hammock, drinking margaritas by the beach, right? I don't believe that to be true. I think that... Yeah. People got a wrong sense of what reality is with the four-hour work week, but sort of living life on your terms and doing what you want to do. And that's the biggest issue for most of the people is they don't really know what they want. They think they do, but they chase a shimmer or is the, the right pronunciation is chimera. It's funny because I shimmer, I thought is this word that existed. My son, you know, corrected me a year ago, dad, it's chimera, which means an illusion, an unobtainable goal, something that's a mirage. In the desert, you think you see water and you go towards it, but it's not really there. 
And so for your audience, I bet you most of the people are feeling like they're in the hamster wheel. They're running really fast, but they look and they're not making much progress, right? They think they are, but they're really not. And then they're driven, unfortunately, by this idea of the ego or idea of what they think life should be for them. And come to find out inside they're empty, you know, and, and not always fulfilled and or successful. Yeah. And so for me, the question becomes, how do you double your income, double your time off? becomes a metaphor for becoming an individual that's worthy of doubling your income and doubling your time off. And then what do you do with that? Mm -hmm. And those are the questions that most people don't know how to answer. Yeah, that's fantastic. And it's amazing about the wisdom of our wives because I've I've kind of been in one of those, you know, hustle, hustle, hustle mentalities. And I was very ambitious, still am, you know, wildly ambitious, but something happened after getting married and, and moving to a new city, I slowed down a little bit. And even recently I've slowed down more and I've learned to smell the roses and, you know, my value spending time with my wife and I'm almost doing less and my business is starting to pick up. And my wife was like, well, baby, what if you were just doing too much? <laughs> well, isn't that the truth? So, you know, what are the things that we could talk about or at least drop a nugget for the, your listeners is that slow is fast. And dumb is smart. And so slow is fast and dumb is smart. And so when you're sitting in a room and there's 10 people in there, who do you think tends to be the smartest one? The one who does the talking or the one who does the listening? Listening. Of course. Why is that? Because they get to hear more. They get to absorb more probably. So did you ever do any boxing or martial arts or anything of that nature? I, I did a little bit of boxing. Okay. Well, usually the punch that knocks somebody out is the one that they don't see. Yeah. It's not the one that you see. It's really hard, right? If Mike Tyson's going to punch and you're a pretty fit, big guy, if you brace, it'll hurt, but you probably won't get knocked out. But if he hits you clean and you don't see it, that's the one that knocks you out. So the individual in the room who's asking the questions and listening, they're looking for what's that punch that I don't see that could knock me out. What's the thing that I don't know that if I knew will change things for me, make a different decision, hire a different individual, go in a different direction. So dumb is smart. You got to act like you're dumb in order to be smart. That's the only way we learn. Mm. And then slow is fast allows us to eliminate all distractions and have hyper-focus on what it is that we want to do. So sometimes we mistake productivity with activity, and they're not even close. You do need activity to get to productivity, but you got to focus on productivity, and the activity changes based upon what results you want to attain. So the, what's happened with you in this case is that you probably have matured a little bit, and you stopped chasing so many shiny objects, and now are thinking, you know, what objects do I really want to chase? What are going to bring me happiness and joy and success and all that kind of fun stuff? You know, we I had I've had a private plane you know, a house in the mountains, you know, the custom-made racing Mercedes, all of it, right? And lived on top of the, literally at the top of the hill in Calabasas next to the Kardashians and all these individuals in California. Now we live in Texas. And, you know, now I live in, a, you know, upper middle-class neighborhood, right? You wouldn't know, right? Yeah. And most of the people here are, you know, successful, but not at the level that you would know. And, you know, I don't have any debt anywhere. And so it's a very different lifestyle. That's what I wanted, right? I wanted freedom. I didn't want fame. Mm -hmm. I wanted freedom. And so, and that's okay, right? It's, it's, but it's what I wanted, not necessarily what somebody else wants. So when we take a client on, for example, we charge $150,000 a year to double income, double time off, or a million for a lifetime client. We run it through four process. We have to clarify, simplify, maximize, and leverage. 
And you think, oh, that's pretty easy, you know, clarify, simplify, maximize, and leverage. But really, the most difficult piece is to clarify who are you and what do you want? Yeah. Yeah. That's not, a hard it's question, not a question. Than most think. <laughs> well, most people don't think, which is why it's a hard question. Most people have been programmed, right, to think that they think. Remembering or regurgitating isn't thinking. So when you when you're like, man, I'm really bummed out about something you did in the past. You're not thinking. You know, your your beautiful wife goes, baby, why are you bummed out? Oh, I'm just thinking about something that happened in the past. No, you're not. You're remembering something that happened in the past. You're not thinking. Thinking is a very different tool set. Most people don't know how to think. Most people know how to remember and react, not to think. So when you start asking someone to strip away the non-essentials, the things that aren't who they are, and teach them again to think, they start to get clarity. And then that changes everything. Not necessarily just about increasing income, because that's, making more money is easy to do. Believe it or not, it's really easy to do. It's one of the easiest things to do. It really is. It's getting rid of all the nonsense. It's stopping you from making more money. That's the biggest issue you have to contend with. Yeah. You know, I see that you've got two books in the back. Uh, the, you know, the breaking, what is it? Um, breaking being yourself. Habit, being yourself. Yeah. yeah. Not a fan of that book. Um, <laughs> it's all about meditating. I think Joe Spence is a bit of a nutcase. And then, that's weird. But you got your little thumb up on the podcast. You see that? Yeah. It's kind of, I don't know weird. why it froze. <laughs> Me neither, buddy, but it's all right. And then you've got The Alchemist, which, of course, a popularized book that I think Will Smith, God love him, said that he loved. Uh, also a terrible book. But yet most people seem to go with the crowd and think those are great books. I bet you there's a book you've never read that if you read would change your life. You ready? What is it? Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Hmm. By Richard Bach. It's about this big. You read The Alchemist because somebody recommended it to you. You read The Habit of Breaking Yourself, somebody recommended it to you. And then you went, wow, isn't Joel Esponza a great guy? No, he's not. Isn't, you know, Paul Coelho a great guy? No, he's not. And so you get enamored with these books and you go, oh, this is the best books I've read. But let me ask you this. How did those books change your life? Yeah. <laughs> if it doesn't enact action or if it doesn't have real world actual evidence of changing, has it really done anything? It hasn't, right? Now, if you read them for entertainment purposes or you wanted to be popular with your buddies, I'm okay with that. Like, cool. Like, hey, that's fantastic. You have a conversation with your cigar and whiskey friends. I mean, all fantastic, you know, God, but how did it actually change your behavior? It didn't. Mm -hmm. So then in a sense, it's a waste of time, isn't it? Mm -hmm. People don't know why they read books. They just read them because somebody else told them to read them without asking how to read a book. So, so I mean, you know, th these are the things that, th that if we don't start asking ourselves these questions, we stay hypnotized by a friend's family and media and whatever you want to call it into running that little rat race, thinking we're succeeding when in reality, we're just being a slave to somebody else's will. Yeah. That's really what it comes down to. And I'm not okay with that personal. How do we break out of that? How do we lean more into, because when we were first introduced to each other, I, I do believe the, the email uh, subject was this guy can show you how to double your income and double your time off. And I was like, wait, hold on. Does he mean double my income? And and half the time off, or it it didn't add up because, you know, it was contradictory to to everything I've known and everything I've experienced beforehand. How do we kind of break out of this, I guess, prescribed mentality that so many of us find ourselves in? So let's look at it from this perspective. Let me ask you a different. Let me ask you two questions that'll help answer that. 
Sure. Number one is, was there anything in your life you used to believe was true later to find out it was not true? Oh, I'm sure. Um, trying to pull something at top of mind. Um, but actually, one thing that I'd say top of mind is I used to believe the world was responsible for all of my pain. I used to blame everything else. Now, I believe it's all on me. Great. And so at some point in time, the earlier you, right, the earlier Ted was like, you know, fuck the world, they did, 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 and you're angry or despondent, whatever. But you you thought the problems that were on you were because somebody else's fault, right? Correct. So you walked in the world with that. You saw people and said, they're responsible, this and that and the other. And then someday something happened or something gradually happened whereby you came to a different conclusion and thought, wow, I didn't believe that. I believed that. Now I believe this. So now you walk around differently, correct? Correct. How did that happen? Um, <laughs> I had an autoimmune disease. I was in the hospital. Doctor came and after all the work, he said, what's your health like? What's your stress level like? And I pretty much, I told him I was, I was drinking a lot of alcohol on the weekends. I was eating fast food while my parents had a well-cooked meal at home. I was just doing all this stuff. And the doctor kind of was like, well, you're about to lose your large intestine and then you have nobody to blame but you. <laughs> became you have, you have what we you have what we call a SEE, a significant emotional experience. Mm. You now see things differently, right? Significant emotional experience. So there was something that prompted that shook you out of this belief you held to be true. I believe that everybody else is responsible for my problems. And then he's like, "Hey, buddy, it's been you, and you're mm. about to lose your integrity." Oh my gosh, that changed your perception. The second question I'm going to ask you is, are you asking the right question about how to double income, double time off? Mm. Maybe a better yeah. question is, okay, maybe a better question is, what am I doing that's preventing me from doubling my income and doubling my time off? Mm. I would probably be probably doing busy work, doing things that aren't yielding the income. I know I, I think of just getting that to-do list done, checking off these boxes. And I'm like, okay, boom, 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 boom. And then I look at a completed checklist. Even I'm looking at a journal right now that I carry every day that's got the little boxes and I check them all as I go. And the dopamine hit feels so good when I check them all off. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that if you're aware that that's what it's doing for you. So one of my one of my heroes of all time, a guy named W. Clement Stone, and it was W. Clement Stone that put Napoleon Hill on the map who wrote the book Thinking Grow Rich. And he was a guy that was born 1902, died in 2002, lived 100 years old, grew what's now known as Aon Insurance Company, AON, died a billionaire, I mean, changed the world, so forth and so on. And he wrote a little book. And in the book, he says how he became successful. And in that, he talks about little simple things. And I've recommended the book to a ton of people. They're reading, oh, it's a great book. They put it back in the shelf. And that's the end of it. But in one aspect, he says, here's how to get rich. Spend 30 minutes a day thinking, planning, and strategizing every night for 20 minutes, write a piece of paper. At the top of the paper, you put how I can achieve this goal without violating the rights of man or the laws of God. On the piece of paper, on the left-hand side, you put all the things that won't work. On the right-hand side, you put all the things that will work. And you do that every single day. And he says, most of it won't, won't work, but you'll get one or two ideas that will have the biggest impact on your life and on your income because you're training yourself to think, strategize, and plan. Mm. Guess what most people don't do? Think, strategize, think, and plan. Strategize and plan. <laughs>
What does it look so like? Go ahead. What does it look, what does like? look like? Like thinking. So it's a great it's a great question. Your brain has three parts to it. It's got the librarian, the caveman, and the thinking brain. So remember Rodin, the statue with the guy in the arm, you know, thinking, right? That's sort of the thinking brain. The caveman or cavewoman, you know, it's, it's all about the five S, fight, flight, freeze, fornicate, and feed, right? That's the reptilian. That's what, you know, someone's got a knife at you. You don't want to think about it. You want the reptilian man or one to come out, right? You got to run from a fire. You know, although if you look at movies, right, there's always a dumbass that looks, what's happening? I'm running, dude. Like I'm running. It's something I'm running. I'll, I'll find. I'll read about it later. Let me just go. Yeah. You know, world of the world's Tom Cruise. They all start going. No, dude, run. You just run. And so you know, you've got these components. So that person, that part of your brain, serves the idea to keep you safe, right? And then you've got the librarian, and the librarian is a part of you that every day he or she stocks all the information you've ever thought of, all the experiences you've had, the things you've seen, heard, felt, the things you've read, you listened to. And puts it in the back, you're like books, right? And then every day it's working. Now, when the cave woman or caveman is active, the thinking man can't be. So he's out there knocked out. So when someone's, you know, fight, flight, freeze, fornicate, or feed, they, they can't rational. You ever see those people on, on social media? They're doing really stupid things or fighting and screaming. Yeah, and you're like, dude, that's because the caveman's taken over and the thinking brain, if they had one, is a dead, asleep, right? So when that happens, the librarian can't work very efficiently, right? She or staff is trying to work it, but everything's noisy and busy, can't do its job. When the thinking man is active, the caveman falls asleep. And that's the person that asks the question, you know, how do I double my income, double my time up? How do I do this? How do I do that? You ask questions. Then what happens is the caveman stays asleep and the thinking brain must now go and relax. Go for a walk, go for a swim, watch a movie, read a book. Give the order to the librarian, but let the librarian do its job. The librarian goes, okay, got it. You want to know how we do X, Y, and Z. And he goes, okay, well, if I take this memory and that book and this conversation and this new idea and I put them in these, you know, format, puts it in a folder and delivers it to the thinking man. Here's the answer. And they go, Eureka, I've got it. And then out comes the answer of how to do X, Y, and Z. That's why Ray Dalio says the greatest thing he's ever done for his career in health is to meditate. Because when he meditates, he's oozing the caveman. The thinking brain also kind of leaves and goes for a stroll. And he lets his librarian figure things out and come up with the answer. So thinking is nothing more than a process of asking questions and getting an answer in a creative way. But you've got to get the librarian to do its job by posing the question and then chilling. So when you're out there going 10 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour, and you're busy, busy, go, 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 your caveman's getting agitated, right? So it's going to get fight, flight, freeze, fornicate, or feed. The thinking man's like, shit, I can't think at the speed. And my brain's going, I can't do any work. You're just tasked. You're out there just clobbering things with the hammer. <laughs> That's why slow is fast and dumb is smart. If we slow down and we say, okay, hold on, let me just, let me just push everything out for a second. And let me ask myself, what is important? What really needs to get done? What would change my life? What would improve my health? What would X, what would Y? And you think about the things that really important matter to you. And then you write in a piece of paper and then forget about it. Just go enjoy your day and let your reptilian brain calm down, the thinking brain have a stroll and the librarian do its job. Do you remember um, Archimedes where the, the, the king commissioned the crown to be made of gold and he gave it to this craftsman? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slaughter the story, but you'll get the point. 
And then he gets a crown bag. He goes, how do I know he didn't fill it with something else other than gold, right? Mm-hmm. So he gets to our committee. He goes, hey, Archimedes, without damaging this crown, I need you to make sure that the gold I gave to the craftsman guy is all in my crown that he didn't fill it with something else. So Archimedes racked his head and racked his head and racked his head and racked his head. And he couldn't do it. He just, he couldn't figure out how do I figure this out without touching the crown? So he sets a hot bath and, you know, forgets about the crown, puts it away or, you know, this thing, puts it away, gets on the bath. And as the water flows over the bath, it sort of spills into the ground and he goes, Eureka, that's where Eureka comes from. Eureka, I found it. And he runs naked down the street to tell the king that the same body of weight immersed in water is the same body of water that comes out. So they immersed the gold in water, so much water came out, and he immersed in, you know, a non-gold, so much water came out, and he realized that the guy had cheated the king and the guy got killed, whatever. But it wasn't until he put away the problem and just got to relax that he had the Eureka moment. Newton and the apple falling on his head. Einstein, I mean, anything you look about it, when somebody thinks of an answer that really changes the world, they're not stressed out. They need to be relaxed. They need to have asked a great question and then let their brain come up with the answer. Yeah. This is why most people who are hectic are either driven by, look at me, look at me, aren't I great? Thump the chest, give me recognition because I have low self-esteem. Or they're driven by some metaphor about their parents not thinking they're good enough, whatever the case may be. But the highly productive individual they're like taking a stroll through life, having a good time, literally smelling the roses. Now, it doesn't mean they're not sometimes busy or getting things done or things going to timelines. You know, life is fluid, but it does mean that they're not out there pressing the gas 100% all the time. They're thinking, how do I solve this problem? So the productivity actually happens in stillness and then the work happens afterwards. Yeah, so the it's a good way to put it. Productivity is all about what's the solution to the problem? Hmm. Mm-hmm. And then how do we implement that problem? And then you, the question is, okay, well, if I have the problem figured out, I've got the solution that I think is going to work, how do I get there in the easiest, fastest, least effort amount of time? So, you know, right? Because then you go, okay, well, if that's true, and this is, has to happen, okay, well, I can either do it all myself, or I can delegate it, I can, you know, eliminate it, I can do whatever. But it's what's the easiest, most enjoyable, fastest, least effort way of getting there. People don't ask themselves that question. Yeah. They they think oh well, I, I got to get this or let's I got to you know push Susie, so you know we have a client that just re-signed with us for the second year who wants to buy companies, and he's like well where do I look and so I told him where to look for companies to buy, and he goes I don't want to do that and so I'm like, well, don't do it, he goes but but it's you don't have to do it I said I didn't say you have to do it, how can you make it easy enjoyable and fast don't think about the task. How do we approach that task so that you get attracted to it versus repelled by it? Versus, you know, clenching your butt, sucking on the upholstery, grinding your teeth through it. Can we make it in a way that's fun and attractive for you? And so he goes, let me think about that. And he came up with his own answer. He goes, like, if I do this, this, and this, then I'm going to want to do it. I said, great, do that. You may not have to do it this way. No, you don't have to do it that way. <laughs> as long as it gets done. People don't ask themselves that question anymore. Yeah. You know, they, they, go ahead. I was going to say, like the book example you use, you read the book, nothing happens, nothing changes. If you don't do it, does it have an impact? Most of, I mean, look, I've, I've read 3,000 plus books, right, in counting. I love to read. I'm always looking for what's that one thing from the book that I can apply to my life to make a difference. I usually don't find it, but I still enjoy the process of, of, of reading it. There's only a handful of books that have actually changed my behavior. So you could say, I love this book. This was a great book because the book made you feel good. 
but it might not be the same book that change your behavior that's given you in perpetuity, meaning continual benefit. And you're still doing those actions from that book. Yeah. You, you mentioned feel good. And, um, and I kind of want to touch on something you've kind of alluded to in terms of people with the, their beliefs of I got to do this, got to do that. And reading these books that make them feel good and getting caught in this, this productivity or this false sense of productivity. Um, how is that the most detrimental thing to people that what they're, they're desiring is more information. They're desiring the next deal. They're desiring the next to-do list. How is that detrimental to people and how can they kind of snap out of it? Nothing kills dreams more than self-delusion. And so when you're delusional, when you think something is true that isn't true, or you're faking yourself out, it's destructive to your life. You know, look, at the end of our lives, we'll all hopefully die past the age of 100. You know, you've heard this before, you know, you're going to look back and go, gee, I wish I spent more time in the office or, you know, whatever, right? But the truth is, it's not about that. It's about who have you become? You know, when you look back at your life and you look at today, have you become the kind of person that you wanted to become? And that is a more of a general blanket over your life than particular events. Because, you know, there, uh, I think it was Bill Bailey who said, life is not the passing of time. It's a collection of experiences, their intensity, and their frequency. So I'm 53. If I live to be 100, I've got 47 more Christmases left. Not an unlimited amount. Only 47. I better make him count because it's only 47, yeah. right? 47 summers, 47 Christmases, 47 winters, 47 ski times. I'm only going to go skiing if I ski to the age 100, 47 more times. People don't think of that. Mm -hmm. So those are the events. But who am I in the process? Who am I becoming? The biggest thing, I think, to avoid that is to look at yourself and say, forget about what it is that I want, right? Because those are easy things to get. It's who do I want to become? What kind of individual do I want to be? And that's a very different question. Because if you think of yourself, you know, you, have, you don't have any kids yet, right, Ted? I have one on the way. That's okay, that's right. That's, that's right. new information. Congratulations. That's, <laughs> Thank you. Congratulations. And so when is your baby going to be born? February 2024. Okay. I have three kids, two born in February, one born in July. Nice. So have you asked yourself the kind of question, what kind of dad do I want to be? I've thought about it. Um, I, I've more specifically, I've thought the specific question I've asked myself is, how do I want to show up in my kids' lives? That's about you, isn't it? it it's is. about show up as a visual, like how am I going to look to my kids' life? That's a level one question, right? Level five question is what kind of person do I want to be? What kind of dad do I want to be? You might be a guy that shows up. You might be a dad that does this, that, and the other, but what kind of dad do I want to be? And that's a very different because it's an identity question. It's not a behavioral question. It's who am I? So for example, I don't smoke, I don't drink, right? So you could say, I am a non-smoker, I'm a non-drinker. That doesn't mean I go, how do I want to show up at a party? How do I want to show up at this thing? I just don't drink, I don't smoke. Somebody say, hey, you want to drink? No, thanks, but I appreciate you. But no, I'm, you do you. I'm not judging. It's just not for me, right? You know, uh, I, I'm a type 1 diabetic, so I'm not going to eat crappy sugar stuff. Somebody offers me a cupcake. Thanks, but I appreciate it. I'm sure it's delicious, but not for me, right? So I am someone that does X, Y, and Z. That makes our life significantly simpler and easier. Remember that simplify, uh, clarify, simplify, maximize, and leverage? Once we get clear as to who you are, then we can simplify, eliminate those things that are not you and focus on things that are you or that you don't want to do. So it's about who do you want to become? And then everything else evolves from that. Have you ever met people that believe something so adamantly that 
they would die for that belief. Yeah, they're going to die on that hill. <laughs> they're going to die on that hill, aren't they? Mm-hmm. So the question becomes, is that a good hill or a bad hill? I mean, it would depend on the hill, I guess, or really depend on how that serves the person. A hundred percent. If I, I know somebody who is so adamant about God and their lives and how God exists, and he's a very successful business guy. He never has to vacillate on asking himself a question of morality. His answer is always clear. That saves him so much time and energy. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to go, well, you know, do I look at that girl's ass or do I not? It's just for him, it's it's clear, right? He doesn't, you know, I, I don't want to be crude because I don't want to, uh, I don't want to disappoint your audience, but would you ever, so I'll be crude in a, in a non-profanic way, but would you ever eat a piece of poop? Nope, not that you I sure. Know. No, but no, would you ever? Like, hey, here's a piece of poop. Intentionally, no, no, right? I mean, you know, most of us are like, no, I'm not interested <laughs> in that, right? So you don't have to willfully go. I'm not going to eat that dog shit. I'm not going to eat that dog shit. Just walk right by it, right? You, there's no willpower involved <laughs> in not picking up a dog shit or going to the public restroom or picking up a poop, and, right? That's just it's not going to happen. Yeah. Well, what if most of your decisions in life were like that? <laughs> It'd be a lot quicker. Yeah, everything's much easier, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's easier because there's no willpower involved. That's the power of identity. So I don't need willpower to resist something that I'm not going to consume. I don't need willpower to not do something I'm not going to do, right? I don't really believe in lying. So, you know, if in a business deal and, you know, someone's like, hey, don't tell them this and that, and this, I can't do it, buddy. It's not for me. Yeah. If the business deal falls through, then so be it, right? Not my thing. <laughs> It's just no different that I wouldn't eat a piece of poop or something else, right? So when we become who we are in terms of identity, you can double income, double time off because your decision-making is significantly easier. There's no willpower involved. And now there's a propelling forward motion that's almost natural, and here's the right word, effortless to move you in that direction. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to not learn new skills and you're going to scratch your head and go, oh, man, I don't know how to do that yet. That's different. But in terms of making decisions and moving in that direction – you really want it to be effortless. And when you clarify, then you can simplify. And then you, of course, can maximize. And then we can leverage. People want to go to leverage first, but not until you clarify, simplify, and maximize can you get to leverage. Does that I make sense? That. Oh, 100%. Um, when you mentioned identity, the power of identity, reducing the energy of willpower. Um, and and, and I've, I've seen this concept in marketing, right? We think we're polka dots, but the world sees stripes. What about that disconnect in identity for someone who thinks they're one thing, but they're coming across as something else? You mean the cognitive dissonance between the congruency of the conscious versus the unconscious mind? Mm. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, the, the right answer is uh, I pity them. Good, good luck to you. <laughs> right? It's, it's not, I mean, I'm not, you know, you're not my client and I tell that individual and I can't help you. Now, if the person's aware of it, that's a different story. Meaning if they're like, hey, man, you know what? I see myself as polka dot. People see me as stripes. Well, that's a wonderful thing because now you can go, what, what's a cognitive dissonance? You know, in, in neurolinguistic programming, they have some presuppositions. One of the presuppositions is, you know, the, the meaning of the communication is a response you get. Mm-hmm. So it's not what you intended to communicate. It's what response did you get? And earlier off the, you know, off the podcast, I told you, I don't really care what people want. I care what they respond to mm-hmm. because that's what matters to me, Right. Because I want this, I want that, blah, 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 blah. Cool, good for you. But what are you going to respond to? That's what really matters. That's what's going to move you in the right direction. 
So if someone is communicating something to somebody via, you know, their actions or words, their job, whatever, and they're not getting the behavior or the response back that they want, they have to get this feedback and go, you know what, man, it can't be them. It's got to be me. <laughs> so if I care about the response or I care about the results and I must change my approach, if I don't, then I'm an egotistical, you know, whatever. And hey, good luck to you, right? And then by then, what happens, unfortunately, for those people is they don't figure it out until much later in life. And then they give up, mm. right? There'll be 50s and 60s. I realize I done screwed up in my 20s and 30s and even 40s, but it's too late now. So I'm just going to ride the rest of my life downhill and and sort of, you know, die in a vine. But if you, you know, back to the dumbass comment. <laughs> when, when I enter anything, even if I've been doing it for a long time, I don't ever assume to know the answer. I'm always asking myself, you know, what's going to be the best thing for this? And a little voice might pop up, Marks, you've done this 10,000 times. You know what the best thing is. The truth is I really don't. Because you might drop a nugget or something that I didn't know that changes how I'm going to do things and go, okay, now I'm going to go down this direction versus that direction. And this is what's wrong with reading those, you know, how to change your life books. Mm-hmm. Unless they're principle-centered, if they're method-focused, you know, how do you know it's going to work for you? Yeah. Bruce Lee had this thing, you know, go ahead, before you ask, go ahead, Bruce Lee had this thing where he said, look, you know, I don't want to teach mass classes because I might teach this guy who's six foot five, really long and lanky, how to kick this way. And this guy might be five foot six and he's short stocky and really fast. I'm not going to teach him the same thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to teach him how to kick differently because they're all individuals. Now, the principles might be the same, you know, shortest point between two lines, a straight line, blah, 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 blah. But how we approach each individual has to be very different. Anyway, you're going to say, you're going to ask a question? Yeah, I was going to kind of play off of some of what you broke down in terms of the clarify, the the simplify, and the maximize. Um, How do we leverage? Where does the leveraging come into play? So it depends on what you want to leverage, doesn't it? So I'll give an example. You know, let's, let's look at what it is that I want, right? So I want freedom. Right. I want freedom to do whatever I want, whenever I want my lovely, beautiful wife, and my three kids, travel the world, do things, buy things. You know, I don't want to be restrained economically, which means I have to make X number of money or have X number of income coming in. Right. So that's pretty easy. Right. Simplify. Okay. Well, if it doesn't get me what I want, then I don't want it in my life. Right. Get it. That's pretty easy to get rid of. Maximize. Okay. Okay. What are my strengths, attributes? You know, what am I good at? What do I enjoy the most? How do I add more value? How do I make more money? Great. Then we got to look at, well, what other areas of your life? have to be attended to that you can't neglect, but you're going to neglect because of the way you are. How do we leverage that? So you check that box. Okay, here's how I'm going to do it. And the other piece is, okay, now, are the things that you do well, that you're great at, that you enjoy, how do we leverage that even more? So it's not just about doing the things that you're going to neglect, but also about leveraging your good things that you're great at. How do we do that even more? So give an example. You know, I don't mow my own lawn, right? That's leverage, right? Mow, the lawn has to be mowed. At least I want it mowed because I want a nice yard. I want my pool, right? I want, you know, I have an ice bath. I've got a sauna, right? So I want all those things tended to. I don't do it. No big deal. Just I don't do it. So I leverage that. But I'm really great at, you know, uh, intervening in people's lives and helping them figure problems out, right? So I could do one-on-one, which one, or I could leverage and do one-to-many, right? So like, you know, I had a... Uh, a group that asked me to speak to them privately is about 15, 16 members. 
And so we spent a couple hours and I chatted with all of them and I was able to help each individual a little bit more than if I did a one-on-one. That's leveraging my talents and my gift, right? Those are simple, easy examples. But leverage must come last. People want to focus on leverage first. No, 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 no. Because how do you know what you're going to leverage to be true? And if you try to leverage something, but you don't clarify, simplify, and maximize, that won't work. Yeah, that's fantastic. What would you say to anyone listening right now because they're, they might still be locked in their belief or whatnot, but it just sounds too easy. It sounds too easy. I, I would say it's simple, but not easy. That's a better way to say it. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, it, you know, I, I've done martial arts most of my life. It's only jab, cross, hook, uppercut, overhand, right? Bob and weave back and you know, there's only a few pieces, right? But go ahead and try to get in the ring with one of the best, you know, whether Mike Tyson or Tyson Fury, whomever you want to pick, right? It, it, it's 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 a different ball game, right? It's the understanding, applying, and mastering of the fundamentals that really make us great human beings. Mm. That's really what drives us, right? It's not about the latest and greatest and new technique. It's about, you know, what are the fundamentals? What are the principles? And how do I get them over and over and over again? Any business I've ever started that I didn't know anything about, I first got to get in it, right? I make all the mistakes I can make. But once I kind of figure it out, it's just rinse and repeat. It just becomes doing the same thing, trying to get better at it, right? Trying to get better at acquisitions or whatever you're trying to buy, trying to get better at it, but you're not changing the methodology. You're just improving the method. You're getting your jab to be better. You're getting your, you know, parry to be better. You're getting your timing. You're just working on these little things within those confines to make you better. So um, how long have you been married now? Just over two years. Great. So have you ever asked your wife this? Honey, when was the last time you felt totally and absolutely loved by me? Oh, I have not asked her that. And she'll and say, and you know, can you think of a specific time? And she'll go, and don't tell me, just think of it. Yes, honey, I, th- I know. Okay. What's well, something you saw, something you heard, or something you felt? She's going to pick one of those three modalities. Oh, no, it's you did this. Okay, great. Can you show it to me, do it to me, or hear it to me, stand with me so I can get it? She'll do it. And then you'll go, let me try it. You'll give it back. And you'll say, go. And you go, okay, got it. Guess what you've elicited for your wife? The love strategy. So imagine now that you know how she gets to feel most loved. How many times a day can you trigger that so she feels totally loved? Yeah. <laughs> but for my wife, it's for my wife, it's a hug. It's a particular way of hug, right? So how many times do you think I hug her that way every day? As many times as possible. As many times as possible. <laughs> 35 <laughs> years, right? So I know she you know, a certain hug. For me, it's a certain look she gives me. And I oh, she just gives me like a go, right? Like, like, like okay. So she gives me a look as many times as she can. I give her the hug and look and hug and look and hug and look. And so we're always triggering each other's love strategy as often as we can. My kids, the same thing. My daughter loves to just be rubbed. She's 21, right? So she just lays on her lap and you know, we give her rubbies. That's when she feels totally loved. My, my oldest son is just to have these conversations, right? Intellectual conversations. So we talk as much as we can. Mm-hmm. And my middle son is to have play, play around and to goal and whatever. He's 23. So I'm, you know, there are three different love strategies. And I'm just triggering them as often as I can. They're a little different state, but we see them as often as I can. So they feel totally loved. Now imagine this. Wherever you go out into the world, if your wife triggers your love strategy, you're going to put on this armor of love. And are things going to bother you? Why not? Not nearly as much. (laughs) 
when your daughter or your sons or whatever, you know, they give that daddy, I love you, kissing me, whatever, and you go to the world, buddy, most things aren't going to matter. Somebody cuts yeah. you off in the freeway, or, it's not a problem. So we have to look at these kind of things. Who do we become as the identity? For me, it's I want to be a kind of parent that my kids want to hang out with. I want my kids as they grow older to want to hang out. And thank God they still do want to hang out with us, right? So it's not about what am I going to get? What am I going to choose? It's who am I going to become? Mm -hmm. I want to be the kind of coach that want to come back to. Oh, dude, Mark's changed my life. I want to keep going back to him, yeah. right? I want to be the business guy. You want to do business with, oh man, he made me money or this or that, or we did. You know, I, I want to be that guy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm working on it every day, just like you. And so these are different questions and better questions. And then everything else drives from that. So instead of becoming, you know, asking the question, how do I get the yacht? Because everybody's asked that, you know, you could be an asshole and own a yacht. I know plenty of them, right? Mm -hmm. Same with planes or whatever. The question is, how do I become the kind of guy who deserves that yacht? Yeah. My wife so I have, asked I have a, that. <laughs> you're not okay good well my so wife asked me one day how why do you want the the maserati or whatnot i had it on my vision board a while back i don't have it anymore and i said babe it's not that i want the maserati i want the person capable of getting it exactly so this is i have this this is a rolex that i bought mm -hmm. it's a black face uh gold uh, rose gold rolex they only made it so many of them it was a cost of fortune i wanted the watch for a very long time i had it for 20 years but when i finally afforded it, i didn't buy it because I was like, eh, I don't want to spend the money on it. <laughs> but I'd become the kind of guy that could get the Rolex. So then I said, okay, well, you know what? When I become this kind of guy, I'll get it. Became that kind of guy. No. When I become this kind of guy. And finally, I was like, okay, you know, stop playing around. Just buy the stupid thing. But it drove me to become a better person. It wasn't the Rolex itself. It was the idea of wanting to deserving to having that Rolex. You know, for us, we think we want cars, houses, you know, watches, shoes, whatever. Really, they are status symbols. They're supposed to signify... You know, Ted has that because he's achieved this. He's become that kind of guy. It used to be that. Mm -hmm. It used to be a status symbol based on deserve. Now they're not. Their status symbol is based on give me recognition, not that I deserve it. Mm -hmm. So I'll ask you this question. And I know that you're going to probably run out of time here shortly, but let me sort of ask you this question. If you found a gold medal on the street, would you wear it? You know, like an Olympic gold medal. Yeah. Would you wear it? Probably not. Why wouldn't you wear a gold medal? Why wouldn't you want to roll? You know, hey, I'm a, I got the gold medal running. Why wouldn't you wear that? I didn't earn it. Exactly. Now you might sell it and pawn it, right? Who knows? But you wouldn't wear it because it'd be silly, right? And if you did, you'd be a bit of a wacko, right? Like those guys that dress in the fatigues. I think they served the military, right? But they really didn't. So, but if you have a medal, there was somebody who got a silver medal and gave it away to some charity or something because they needed the money. She never lost the title of, you know, silver medalist in the Olympics. She just gave away the medal, which really meant nothing. It was the fact that she achieved that. She became that kind of person. That's truly what we should focus on. If you understand that, then doubling income, doubling time off becomes really easy. Because mm -hmm. no longer are you chasing the mechanics, you're chasing the identity. And the last piece I'll tell you is this, is that when Michelangelo was asked to do the David, you know, David's this beautiful statue. Okay. Have you ever seen it in person? Never in person. It is my favorite piece of art. It is, I've seen them all. It is my favorite piece of art. What a reason it just speaks to me. So they asked Michelangelo, say, how come, how did you do that? And he actually took a piece of marble that had cracked on it that nobody wanted. And so it had been passed over by a lot of other sculptures. And so when they asked him, he said, I simply saw the Michelangelo and chipped away at whatever wasn't the Michelangelo. 
So he got rid of whatever was the Michelangelo to reveal the Michelangelo in that block of marble. And so for us, you and I, it's okay, what isn't Ted? Get rid of what isn't Ted. Get rid of what isn't Marx. Tip away at that stuff that is not really us that we've accumulated over time. You know, Bobby said, read this book. Bobby said, do this. Susie said, do that. We just keep adding shit on ourselves. <laughs> and I walk out like, like this freaking blah, blah, masha who we're not. We have to get rid of that. We have to chip that away. You know, and whatever that is for you. You know, if you like suits, then wear suits. If you don't like suits, don't wear suits. It doesn't matter. It's chip away whatever isn't Ted. And it, it's a regular daily exercise because you go out in the world and then, you know, a bird poops on you or somebody puts a clip past so you. got to go, home, you, gotta, you know, get rid of that, right? You got to, you know, and then you just, you keep evolving. And it takes time. I have this statue that my staff gave me a long time ago. One of my favorite modern day sculptures by Bobby Carlin called The Self-Made Man. Can you see that? Oh, yeah. That's fantastic. I, I've seen that Isn't before. Isn't that cool? Yeah. yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's chipping away at what isn't you. That's really how we double income, double time off, if we want to get philosophical. I love it. I love it. Marks, I, I want to make sure that our audience has a way to connect with you and, and, and follow some of your stuff. What would be the best resources, best ways to do so? So they can actually email me directly at marks at callmarks.com, M-A-R-X at C-A-L-L-M-A-R-X.com. And I'm happy to answer any questions, chat with anybody. Um, you'd be surprised. I do a lot of these podcasts. Most people don't reach out because, you know, they don't think they're going to get a hold of me, but they will. Um, I eat my own dog food. Happy to have to anybody about anything. And if I can be of service or value to you or anybody else, you know, please let me know. I'm happy to help any way I can. Yeah. And you are extremely generous with your time. And I, and I thank you so much for that and, and for your expertise. Um, my last question is usually the, the heaviest question, but something tells me you're going to have no problem answering it. Um, what is something that you've seen or something that's happened to you that shapes the way you view the world as a man? As a man, that's an interesting question mm -hmm. that's happened to me or that I've seen that's made me change the world. Time has Time has, has hardened my belief in this idea that men are a unique, special breed, and we need to behave like men, not like wussies. And that's not a popular uh, belief, but I think the world's in trouble. I really do. And men to me, by the way, does not mean, you know, go beat somebody up or something stupid. It means have character, have integrity, have ambition, have resolve, have strength. You know, it used to be people, if you lied to somebody, they would, and you questioned them all, there'd be a duel and they'd shoot at each other, right? Like lying mm -hmm. used to be a, a major offense, right? Because people took pride in their character. During the Great Depression, people didn't want bread lines. They wanted to work. People died building the Empire State Building, but they rather risk their lives for good, earned, hard days work rather than get a handout. We've lost them a lot. And I think it's because as men, we really aren't what we used to be. Not this Andrew Tate, you know, disgusting, whatever the case may be, but he does have a point to a certain extent that you have to be strong. Or um, who was it the guy that said it? Be dangerous, but don't act on danger. Um, mm. Jordan Peterson, right? Yeah. And I think what he means by that is have the strength of character. You know, my, my mentor would never dream of of lying or violating his integrity or character for any reason at all it doesn't even show up he doesn't care if he goes broke if you don't like him he just won't do it now he's 91 and he's pretty wealthy we've lost that and so i think time has i used to believe that 
you know, people could be more individualistic. Now I believe that people have to be more uh, maverick-like, meaning, you know, to be a man of character is no longer the norm. It's more the exception. Yeah. And it's sad. I mean, it's sad. You know, it, it's, yeah, that's a whole different, but that that's changed my view, right? Is I think we have to be stronger as men. Yeah. And that does not mean uh, machista, just means strong of character. You know, and character, uh, you know, there's there's an acronym we use called CARE. Character, ambition, relations, and economics. All the things in life you want fall into one of those four categories. Character, ambition, relations, and economics. Doesn't matter what you talk about, I can put it in one of those four buckets. So you have to sort of care for your own growth, focus on your character, your ambition, your relationships, and your economics. And we have to be economically sound because we can't provide for our family, our friends, the causes we care about if we can't give. Yeah. You know, Abraham Lincoln said that you can't help the poor by being one of them. And, right. And so anyway, so great question. I think character, which is really about strength of morals and strength of resolve. I mean, people give up so easily on things nowadays. Yeah. You know, they yeah. started, oh, it hurts. I don't want to do it anymore. My mentor said, success is the ability to bear pain, not be a pain, but bear pain. He didn't mean physical pain. He meant emotional and psychological pain, right? When you doubt yourself, that's pain. When the banks aren't giving you with the credit you want, that's pain. When it doesn't go through, that's pain. You learn how to deal with that pain and you'll build character and be a great guy. Anyway, we digress, but I hope that answers your question to some extent. Oh, absolutely. And it's an answer that I love. And and uh, it's a shame that I, I block it with my head and I actually probably have to change my background because my dad has actually told me behind me for anybody that watches, they see the Emmy that I won in 2020. Well, behind my head, if I move it, there's a small award right there, which I won in the eighth grade and the principal gave it to me. And um, it's it's for strength of character and integrity. Actually, I'm going to grab it because it's over here. Give me a second. Because Go ahead. This is something, even after I won my Emmy, my dad was like, nope, this is still my favorite award that you've ever won. And it kind of goes to your testament. It says, uh, my government name, Edward Fayton, in recognition of strength of character and outstanding personal integrity. And he said, this, son, is going to take you farther than any other award that you win. And that's why I, it's still on my bookshelf. That's why I still have it very close to me. And um your answer probably is going to encourage me to kind of change my background a little bit and make it more front and center. Cause my dad says, don't block that. Let the world see it. I think, I think your dad's a very smart, wise man. For me, it was in 10th grade. I got an award for most improved biology and history because I was a DNF student. And then my dad taught me how to study. And then I ended up getting A's after that. And that it still hangs out here in the house. So a piece of paper by uh, Professor McGrath, 10th grade, most improved biology and history. That means more to me than, I've been on TV. I've won 500 awards. Blah blah blah. Then it doesn't matter. Yeah, because I think that you know that taught me. I'm a dumbass, but I can get it done. Yeah, that's fantastic, Marks. Th this has been amazing. Uh, I I've loved this, and I knew it would be a wealth of knowledge. And I, I that's why I intentionally. I love you said starting off self proclaimed dumbass, but there there's so much for us to learn, and I'm looking forward to approaching a lot more situations with that mentality so I can learn more as well. Um, I appreciate you taking the time. I know the audience does as well. I'm going to share some of the, some of the gems you left along the way, because I know a lot of people are working out or driving or things along the way, but slow is fast and, and dumb is smart. The way we're approaching things might just be more 
counterproductive. Maybe if we change the way we approach things, if we change what we're doing, we could change what we're getting because what you're getting right now obviously is not what you want. Act like you're dumb to learn. Freedom, not fame. And it's not just the, the glitz and the glamour, but also that recognition, that title, that, that, that attention from others. Are you, are you chasing the fame or are you chasing the actual freedom or are you even asking yourself what it is you truly want? And have those books changed your life? I'm a reader as well. I don't have as many books behind me as Mark's, but I, I am always, whether I'm listening, consuming or reading, but what is it I'm looking for? And a lot of those books have not changed my life. And if you ask yourself that, maybe you can identify which books really have impact on you. And then C, significant emotional experience. What is it you believe wholeheartedly that isn't so? And what is it gonna take for you to see with clear vision what the truth actually is. 30 minutes a day, thinking, strategizing, and planning, asking those questions for your eureka moments, slowing down. I, I imagine that's why they call them shower thoughts. <laughs> it's because you need to slow down and maybe even meditate to let the answers come into play. Let the librarian do the work after you think and ask the right questions. Who have you become? At the end of the day, it's not what did you do, what you didn't do, but who have you become? And that power of identity, helping with willpower, and the understanding of fundamentals in a practice, helping for the development of the simplicity. It's simple, not easy. You can know the hooks, the jabs, but the application of those fundamentals is what gets you further. And the better questions equals a better life. And chip away onto what's not you so you can be fully you. Sculpt the you that you deserve to be. This has been an amazing episode, Marks. Thank you so much for the time. To the audience, thank you for making it to the end. You already know what I'm gonna ask. Hit that like button, that subscribe button. And of course, you can get a new episode each and every single week and share this with someone that you know can get value from it. And the best compliment you can give us is by leaving us a rating and let us know how we're doing. Thanks again, guys. And as we always say at the end of the episode, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain, but you can't get the pleasure without first the pain. Let's grow. Let's get past it today. I think we're gonna do a great job.